Hello and welcome to Rick and Bubba University, Hard to Believe, Episode 11. Uh, and we're thankful that you're with us. Today we're going to talk about a topic uh, that uh, spawns many phone calls to the Rick and Bubba show, uh, and that is, of course, the topic of parenting. Hey, what about this? Hey, I'm in this situation. What's the best thing to do? Bubba and I, of course, uh, have many, many children. Uh, all the guys on the show, except for Eddie Van Adler, who's about to welcome his first child into the world. And uh, so today, Bubba, we, we are honored to have with us pediatrician uh, Dan Trumbull. Dan has uh, written the book, Loving by Leading, A Parent's Guide to Raising Healthy and Responsible Children. And guess what else is also in this great book? A time-tested infant sleep program. So, Dan, welcome to Rick and Bubba University. Glad to be here, Rick. Thank you. Doctor, I've got to start right out of the gate. Your first name is Dan? Dan. Dan. Short for Denslow. Okay. Well, I thought it may have been Ben, and they misspelled it on the paperwork or something. You know, you hear all kind of strange stories. I respond to Ben, Ken, Dent, whoever. Well, that's a great name. Whatever it takes. It's unique. Uh, So, looking over the book, and you sent an email, and, and I walked into Bubba's office. I said, now, look, Rick and Bubba University, this guy would be a perfect podcast because it's long form you can you can talk things out without having to have so many breaks and all that so why would you take on this task of writing a book which isn't easy uh, going through the whole publishing process and then you're taking on a topic let's face it uh parenting has changed dramatically i'm not so sure for the better Mm -hmm. Uh, i think there's a lot of confusion about that and one of the things that you take on right out of the gate and that is to be careful because sometimes you can, you know, have all the best intentions, uh, but we see it a lot, and if you've ever been around it, you've experienced it, a lot of child-centered homes, uh, meaning the child is in control. Exactly. And, and, and you, you take that topic on straightforward. I think there are three reasons, Rick, why I believe parenting has moved toward follow the child instead of lead the child. One is abundance of information on the internet, which has led to confusion because a lot of it is conflicting information. Secondly, distractions. We are busier than ever, and probably the biggest distractor are digital devices in the home, in the hands of parents and children. But thirdly, and I think more fundamentally, there's been a change in the whole concept of discipline. We're moving away from disciplining your child and being more a facilitator of his or her choices Um, being told that he will find the way, she will find the right way if just um, um, cared for and and, and be careful not to punish, not to be too directive. And that's not – the results are not very positive so far. Can can parents not see that, that the (laughs) results that we're getting right now are not as good maybe? Well, they can see that perhaps, Bubba, but – Everyone else is doing it, so they're looking around, seeing their peers, and and the peers are not directing, not leading, so they feel like that's just the way it goes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Well, and Bubba, your point is really straightforward. Here's when I know I'm not doing the right thing if my result is not what I was hoping for. Yeah, I have a desired result. You know, I've explained that to my kids many times now that they're older, and I've even asked. Here is the result. How do you suggest we get there? (laughs) So you give me the plan and I'll implement it. (laughs) I would say the vision, the result is not entirely clear. Um, Do we want to raise uh, a teenager who is uh, respectful of authority or do we want to have one who is the authority? And I think we're moving more and more toward let your child be the authority 
uh, he or she will find his way. So I, I don't know that they have parents have a clear vision of what their goal is. And that's what I try to do in the book. I try to lay out what proper goals should be. Yeah, because I can't start a process if I don't know where we're going. And you've got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan. It doesn't just happen. I mean, it can just happen, but the result isn't nearly as positive. Well, you talked about no respect for authority because, they've been, because yeah. they've been given the authority. I, I am shocked, and I'm not – I'm trying to reuse the, the – you know, not have, have hyperbole here, but I have no reservation with the term shock. Uh, when even even within you know I have two children that are one's about to turn thirty the other one is twenty eight will be twenty nine in, in March and then it drops down to twenty and eighteen and of course I had a younger child that now is in heaven but with with the second group of children that you know that's that's not a big drop of of, of years the lack of respect for authority that had changed in that period that means you know what that means I coached little league sports with the older ones. And then I coached little league sports with the younger ones, yeah. and I am—I was shocked at the disregard of authority and the way children spoke to me, hmm. spoke to their parents. It was shocking, hmm. and, and and so you, you've kind of explained that. Is that that coming? That really comes from the fact that this little king or queen has has been told by their parents that the parents cater to their every whim. And they think they're in control. And the parents believe today, and they're told today, that the goal of parenting is to keep your child happy, whatever it takes. Give him or her, uh, uh, avoid restrictions as much as possible to allow them to be um, happy. Let me get a little philosophical for a moment and tell you where I think what I think has happened over the past 20 or 30 years. Um, it used to be a traditional concept that children are born selfish, self-centered, they need our direction. They need parenting. They need socialization. What I think has crept in subtly is that children are born morally blank slates, and we parents in society are what corrupts them. So be careful when you're parenting. Don't be too directive. Don't uh, be too strict. Uh, and let them unfold their personalities, uh, you know, as it will. Well, well, it will. <laughs> who, who is their authority in in taking that approach? Their authority is themselves, um, and I think that is has permeated the scientific literature. I know it has, and we're moving more and more in a research standpoint away from punishment and more toward total positive parenting. Now, don't get me wrong; there needs to be a balance between encouragement and behavioral sure, control. Sure, that, that's, that's proper leadership. Yeah, yeah, there has to be a balance. But to go one-sided completely and all encouragement, all punish, or all positive, assuming a child will uh, find their right way is um, uh, it's, it doesn't make sense, and it's not working out. Let's talk about discipline. You do in the book. Um, so when we grew up. I'm not saying everything was done the right way, but it was common that there would be some sort of what I'm going to use the, the word that everybody just <gasps> gasp now spanking. If a child misbehaved, it wasn't a child being beaten or abused. A child would receive some physical discomfort, uh, and the child, uh, you know, would then correct the behavior. That's that negative reinforcement. That negative reinforcement, yeah. and but but a lot of <laughs> parents today, that's been so demonized. Uh, that they, they want nothing to do with it. There are also some are afraid if, if this happens in public, because my mother, I know Bubba, your mother, father, they would do it in public if I chose that location 
to misbehave. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was my choice, yeah, not theirs. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I was told if I didn't want that to be public, then don't misbehave in public. Mm-hmm. And uh, I chose the location. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but so what's the balance right now? I think a lot of parents, they're totally confused. Even if they decide my child has done something that is wrong and that child needs to be disciplined, they don't even know what to do. They don't seem like they know what right, to do. they don't. So, so what would you say? Well, let me give you a little bit of my history in, in this whole topic of parenting and how I was drawn into first looking at the research and then learning from my own patients and my own five children as well. Early in the 90s, I began to see coming out in the American Academy of Pediatrics literature statements that spanking was harmful to a child and increased aggressiveness. It didn't seem to make sense because I was of the James Dobson mentality and I was a young parent learning, so I began to study the research and it wasn't there. There was no research showing that. Um, I began to write. I was drawn into um, a debate. The AAP invited me actually out to San Diego to give a presentation on spanking. So I was involved in this debate back and forth. Well, they eventually took false science or uh, very poorly constructed science and came out with a statement discouraging spanking based not upon facts but based upon kind of a social political correctness. Well, the fact is today spanking has definitely fallen out of favor. In the 30 years I've practiced, um, I even find myself a little hesitant to even bring it up. Um, But there needs to be balance. And a parent doesn't have to spank to be a good parent. But what I've found through the research and also through my own personal experience, it needs to be one tool in the repertoire of parents in correcting a child. And it needs to be used uh, during an age-appropriate range, and um, it needs to gradually be phased out, and reasoning needs to you know, take over thereafter. So contrary to what you're seeing in the literature today and in the media, uh, spanking can be a useful tool. What I like about finally having a book now, having spoken out with the media in favor of spanking, is I have a context in which to put the spanking in because it needs to be viewed within the context of a loving relationship. Um, It's a form of correction, but discipline really involves affirmation as well. There have to be more acts of affirmation encouraging the child than correction or were tilted to too much to the uh, authoritarian, you know, perspective. So, you know, Diana Baumrein was at a conference that I was at. In, I wish you uh, could in, talk in to my 90s. mom, Doc, because she was pretty good at spanking. <laughs> 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 well, Diana Baumrein was a researcher in the 1970s, and she uh, actually performed a landmark study of parents over uh, 10 years, and she came up with the three categories of authoritarian, permissive, and authoritative. Well, authoritarian is that harsh parent who wants to just simply give orders and is not affectionate. The permissive is the one who is just wants to be warm, indulging, and doesn't want to limit or restrict behavior. The authoritative, she found, was the most effective parenting style. And those authoritative parents used spanking to a limited degree. But they balanced behavioral control with encouragement. And that's the key. Well, it is. I mean, I often talk about this with my own father because it's fun to talk about that he was authoritative, uh, he didn't tolerate foolishness, and, and there was a certain healthy fear of his authority. However, I said, but 
that was only part of what made him a great leader. What makes him a great leader is he also had as much enthusiasm and as much impact when he encouraged. Hmm. And uh, he wasn't someone who all you ever heard was the bad. You also heard the same enthusiasm, the same influence when you were doing it right. And he often, and he did, and my mother did, and we tried to learn that even when, when we were in trouble, when my children were in trouble, I always explained what was going on, why this was taking place, why we were doing it. Uh, and, of course, we come from a, a biblical worldview and, and, and point to Scripture mm-hmm. and uh, where it clearly says those that God loves, he disciplines. Yes. And, 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 of course, it's even compared. Uh, the writer of Hebrews even says, just as it was uncomfortable when your father would, would physically discipline you, uh, but he did it. It might have been uncomfortable for a moment, but ultimately it served you well. And, uh, and 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 I, is that what you're talking about? Just communicate what's going on. It can't be out of control. It can't be chaotic. Yeah, nobody's about beating a child. Yeah, it, it can't be outside of as you said. And what would you say would be age appropriate? I know children are unique, and you talk about that too. You got to know each child. No two child, no two children are exactly the same. But in general, what's an appropriate age for spanking? Yeah. You're talking about yes, now specifically two to six years of age when reasoning is less effective. Yeah, uh, there's good evidence that. And you know this as a parent. Most parents do. You can't reason with a two- and three-year-old. So it's in those situations where when milder measures fail, such as a little bit of reasoning, timeout, um, disapproval, maybe a little bit of restraining, holding their hand, that kind of thing, when that fails, spanking is appropriate, delivered in a loving context. Beyond Beyond six years of age, reasoning is more effective and should be because our goal is to persuade a child to want to behave, behave, not simply to behave when they're around us and misbehave otherwise. So they need to learn the principles for why we're requiring that behavior of them, and that comes through reasoning. It's like Rick said, I, and I, I, we always joke about spankings, but I, I got very few. But the ones I got, yeah. I knew why I got them. I was explained the rules that I had broke, and I got that spanking, and I didn't like it. And yeah. then I got over it, and, there, and we were better, and, and I didn't repeat that bad behavior. Yeah. And I'm thankful there. for it now because I would have got in a lot more, a lot more trouble. I know I would have. Yeah. It's, it's, it should be more of a deterrent, yeah. kind of the nuclear deterrent right. if used properly. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things, though, that parents today face. And, and I certainly saw this, and Bubba and I both did, you know, the, the electronic stuff. It was coming into our lives uh, not so much with the older children. It was it was part of it, but it wasn't like it is now. Uh, there certainly weren't smartphones and you know, all the streaming and all this. And I see things sometimes that, in my opinion, not being judgmental or self-righteous, because I certainly didn't do all my parenting correctly, but it breaks my heart that people, a lot of parents seem to be using iPads and video games and smartphones as babysitters. And you literally are watching families out together, and these kids, their noses are buried in these things. They never look around. They never interact with their parents. Mm-hmm. But the parents getting to have a quiet meal without the child having to be, I hate to use this term, but it does look like, bothered with. What, how should these things be handled? What's, what's a good balance for all this? Well, let me go back, and mm-hmm. let's talk about the goals of parenting. Mm-hmm. Some of the character qualities, patience, delayed gratification, self-control. Research shows that a child who is self-controlled 
to a reasonable degree at age three is more likely to be successful at age 30. It is the key, it is the golden standard that we want to seek for our children to teach them self-control. Now, I'm not saying a three-year-old's going to be 100% self-controlled, <laughs> but we need to move in that direction. Um, by giving a toddler or an, even an infant in your arms who you're trying to keep quiet in a restaurant or mm. uh, in a doctor's office or yeah. <laughs> um, is a short-term solution that leads to a long-term problem. You're denying them the opportunity to be self-controlled. You're denying them the opportunity to be patient and wait. Uh, you're denying them the opportunity to uh, entertain themselves in an active way rather than be entertained in a passive way. That's what uh, video does to us. It passively entertains us, but it doesn't. Act, we don't actively learn self-control. So, you know, at, you, you, we would all ask ourselves, what would we ever do without digital phones and digital devices to entertain our children? Well, we just did without. And I know that sounds unrealistic in today's world, but if parents will uh, step it up and, and take uh, the responsibility and not give the, to the one- or two-year-old their cell phone, tell them that it's not available for them to look at and play with, they'll stop asking. Because here's what most parents will realize. When you hand them that phone, they're quiet and everything seems so harmonious and happy. But you turn that thing off, I've oh, seen yeah. it, and yeah. and behavior is worse. I've seen it. Yeah, it is. Clearly, it looks like an addiction. Oh yeah, there's a spike in the disruptive behavior. We used to see that when our children were younger, and when they watched too much TV, turn TV off, they were you know ballistic. So we got to be careful. Um, under two years of age is what I say to not give them intentional screen time, except maybe FaceTime with a grandparent or something like that. You know. Um, and then after two years of age, limit the exposure. So what would you say to, like, I remember this conversation taking place in a video store when it was not, not streaming yet, so you had to buy the games and put them into the players. I know that's still going on. but And, and a mother came over and said, how do you handle your children in video games? And I said, what, what do you mean? And she said, well, I'm buying this video game, and I don't know how to keep my kid from playing this game all the time. And and I, and I really thought it was almost like a joke, and, and I certainly, like I say, we, we're not claiming we're the experts on parenting, but this one didn't seem that difficult. And I said, my children play video games when they're allowed to, and they don't play them when they're not allowed to. So that, that I, I, I get that question more than I expect. Well, how do I keep my kid from playing video games all the time? It seems like a weird question to me because <laughs> I would just say, well, then don't let them. Mm-hmm. But as you said, if you've let them do it long enough, if you don't let them, they have a complete come apart. It is addictive. And I think, I think some parents aren't willing to weather that storm. Let mm-hmm. me ask you this, too. Is, are the digital toys and, and things that we look at, are they in a class of their own? And the reason I say that, I had this discussion with an older relative once upon a time, and they, they were like, well, it's just the thing today. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, referred to what you did. They said, growing up, it was TV. We thought TV was making everybody bad. And then he said, if you talk to my dad, it was books. They wanted you to work. And when you stop working to read a book, which is kind of like, well, you need to read a book. That's the gold standard. That's the best thing for you. They, they considered that bad because you're not working. You're goofing off. You're reading. So is it just the thing of the time, or does it have its own problems? I have heard that argument, uh, Bubba. And 
We may look back and say, ah, we were crying fire and there was really right. nothing there. Brain development is affected by digital stimulation negatively. More uh, than so TV? It, it, well, you, or do you consider I, that part of it? I wouldn't say it. more than – all right, so here's my, was my, my first response. With the mobility, portability of the video, we're intoxicated with it. So it never I, leaves. It never yeah. leaves. Um, number one. Number two is now interactive. You mm-hmm. can interact. You can watch video games on your phone, on your tablet, on the go all the time. So I think the volume or quantity of it is, is, is negative. But book reading back in the mm-hmm. day, um, that is healthy for the developing mind. Yeah, it may have taken them away from work. It may have distracted right. them. But it was, I would suggest, a good distraction because with reading, you have to exert energy. You have to, 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 to um, kind of dig it out of the book to, to get the full meaning. And even you imagine it in your mind. Right. With videos, it's entirely passive. There's no creativity there's required no, you, of the yeah, viewer. Like you said, it's, yeah. it's the picture's already painted for you. Right, right. So there's no developmental uh, advantages uh, to to it. So. I think it's the quantity and the quality. Would um, and and again, we're just kind of shooting off the hip with this. But does the visual part of it play in? Uh, because before families sit around TVs, they sit around radio and listen. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a certain amount of creativity you have to do to to see that in your exactly. mind. Exactly. What do the studies say? Is that and I'm just asking the question out of curiosity. Is that different? than, say, the TV that paints the picture for you versus reading a book? Or how does all that... That I think is very different. And for young children, they need to be allowed the opportunity to create. Right. So they need to be allowed the opportunity to make believe with toys, with uh, dolls, with um, creating, with Legos, with blocks and whatnot. Um, Create creativity can be nurtured or it can be stifled. And I do believe screens take that away from a child. So um, it does have an effect negatively. So you would you would kind of lump TV and video games because of the visual I would. into its mm-hmm. own category. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you were talking about studies have shown that they've studied the brain, and there is a reaction in the brain on these visual items, TV, video games, stream, watching these phones, these screens, and the screen time that they say it, it's triggering the same part of the brain that causes people to be addicted to drugs mm-hmm. that really, I mean, uh, I, this is a family podcast, that also is the part of the brain that, yeah. that, that pleasure mm-hmm. comes from, even from intimacy between a husband and a wife. Uh, and they're saying the reason this becomes so addictive, it is going to that part of the mind, and it is an addiction. Video gaming for an older boy in particular, teenager, stimulates the release of oxytocin, and that is that elation that you get from pleasurable experiences. So it is truly an addiction, as addictive as cocaine, because that same chemical is being released. And if you don't believe that, you just made the point a minute ago, turn it off. Right. The reaction The is, brain wants hey, more hey, of it, the, it. The reaction of some of these children is bizarre mm-hmm. and sad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is, which, uh, which kind of leads to something not as severe, but you talk about it in the book. A lot of times new parents, and I remember this, you know, it's one thing to see people parent and it's another thing to actually parent. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm glad. you got all the when, answers. When, 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 when I saw your bio. It's like armchair quarterback. Yeah, it? Well, when I saw your bio, I was so thankful that you had five children. 
Um, these people that have tried to teach us parenting before that didn't have any children, no, no. I'm not sure they know yeah. that much yeah. about it. But 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 anyway, you, yeah, you've who been, was this Doctor Spot guy? Right, right. Got everybody messed up. Exactly. <laughs> You're on the front lines. Yeah, You've yeah, actually yeah, parented yeah. several with, children. With my first child, yeah. I said I'm going to write a book. Right. This is easy. Second child, put it on the shelf. Fifteen years later, picked it back up, continued writing. <laughs> yeah, did you need I'm, to go back and read the book? Yeah, that's one? right. Yeah. Did, did I write that? You know, experience is the best teacher, especially in parenting. And I don't claim to have all the answers, but, but my children have taught me a lot. No, so so let's get to tantrums, and you talk about that in the book. Mm-hmm. I remember that was the first time that I really felt helpless. The first time, you know, what I always tell everybody if they've got a two-year-old, I look at them, I say, know that I've done this five times, five two-year-olds. And uh, and they just like oh my goodness so something happens at two and and uh, and they and, and that's when they start trying to run the entire kingdom and uh, when they throw themselves on the floor they will not do what you want to I call it when they go limp body they drop their body they 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 won't go where you want them to go they they lay on the floor they scream they kick T- tell us a, a good approach to a child pitching a tantrum well it's universal right. all children will tantrum to a certain degree. Uh, number one, you don't give in. You don't re- because when you do, you simply reinforce that. So, if you're trying to avoid conflict and seeking peace in the relationship, you'll just give in and give him or her what he wants. So, what I suggest is parents ignore it for one or two minutes. After which, you say, and you need to have a line. You know, let me precede it with this: they are frustration. They are frustrated many times because they can't communicate. Their inability to communicate leads to frustration. So we want to be sympathetic. That's really important. We want to be loving, and and we want to try to help them communicate by putting words in their mouth, by saying what you think they're feeling, okay? So you want to be sympathetic. But when it goes on long enough, you know, two minutes, then I suggest you take them to another room, ideally their bedroom. Say you stay here until you stop. Give it a title, screaming, okay? Walk away. They follow you screaming. (laughs) You take them back. Stay here till you stop screaming. You walk away, they follow you. Take them back, close the door. Now, about two to three minutes of visual separation will usually settle a child down. Then when you open the door, their arms are uh, up in the air. They want you to pick them up, pick them up. I love you so much, but no, it's too early for uh, a cookie or a cracker. I'm making supper. We're going to go back to the kitchen. I want you to be quiet. We can't, that, that kind of thing. That's the approach I take. How does that play on one of the most uncomfortable parenting moments? My child is melting down in a public place. Um, I'm a distraction. I'm in church. I'm at a wedding. I'm in a restaurant. You certainly can't do that because you don't have that kind of time. But I admit the first time it hit me, I know the right thing to do is to take care of the other people that are not involved in this. And I know that's what we prefer. And if I'm at the other table, it's what I prefer. But 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 then but then I think to myself, the child wants to leave, and now they're getting to leave. You know. So so how do you handle the public situations? Now in a restaurant, yeah. let me give you a personal story. Our first child was probably about 22 months, as I recall. We were in a restaurant, and she just wouldn't stay in her chair. She wanted to get out in our lap and wanted to get down, run around. And we got home. My wife said, gosh, honey, you know, could it be that we don't require that at home of her? Could that be why she wants to do that? And bang, a light bulb went on. Yes, that's exactly it. So training begins at home. And that's why I really promote the family table. The family table is where you eat together as a family and everyone stays at the table till everyone finishes. And I think a child 18 months and older can be required to stay in their high chair for the entire 20, 25 minutes that a family is together. 
<clears throat> teaching again self-control. It's not easy in the beginning. There's a lot of conflict, screaming and whatnot. You strap them in. You make them stay there. Then when you go to the restaurant, they themselves expect to be there for 20, 25 minutes. But if you're out in public in the grocery store and there's a temper tantrum, you know, uh, you, you, have, you have a choice. Number one, you don't want to give in. So you can allow the child to continue to scream and, like you were saying, disturb everybody else in the store <laughs> right. and might even have, have a store manager come down right. on you. Right. Or you can leave, go out to the car, straighten the situation out. You're not going to uh, have that such-and-such such, uh, lollipop, candy bar, whatever, and then go back in and, and resume. It's best not to leave the, gro- the grocery store because then they've won, essentially. They've accomplished what they wanted. They didn't want to be there. They wanted to leave. Um a spanking in, in, in situations where there's true defiance mm-hmm. and milder measures have not worked for a two-year-old, a spanking would be very appropriate. Um, that was necessary with one of our children in a restaurant and um, went out to the car, took care of that, hugged him, talked a little bit about it, came back in. The rest of the meal was quite pleasant. Yeah, there was no worse feeling for you to be leaving the church <laughs> and daddy's taking you. You know what I mean? It was bad enough if mama was taking you out. But if daddy reached over and picked you up and put you on his hip and you're walking out of the church doors, it's not good. Particularly bad if they yell out, I don't want a spanking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that happened. Right. Well, and and you you talk about, you know, the the combination of the two, but but also the the authority in the house, you know, cannot be child-focused. I think sometimes – establishing this because you've talked about this it's got to be consistent and you've got to establish it and that requires effort and i'm speaking again to myself i can tell you i literally have said before i do not have the energy to do what i need to do as a parent i know it's right (laughs) i don't have the energy it would be so much easier right now just to let them have what throw the cookie to you know and be done with it because because you're exhausted but you will pay a price for that yeah and we've all done that. Yeah. We've all given in. But, right. yeah, you're right. got to hold the line. I, I think you had a key point with the sitting at the table. Really, you don't want to compare this to training a puppy. But, well, there's uh, a lot of similarities but, but, for a while. But there is. Yeah. And if you get in a routine, that's what always messes animals up when you break the routine. Mm-hmm. And if you get in a routine with kids and you, you never think about it that way, to do it at home exactly how we're going to do it at the restaurant. Do it at home like we're going to do it at church. Do it at home like we're going to exactly. do at the mall. And then that is a – and I've always said, and I, I've given other parents this advice, you, you do start early. Yeah, That's when it's most manageable. Yeah. That's when you have the most control of the situation. And, and then you just, you know, you ramp up from there as you go. And it's um, – it, it is tough, and it's, and it's tiring, but – the little things you do early on, and, and I've always said, too, about spanking, it, I only got a few, but I got them early, and they were done right, so I didn't require them later mm-hmm. right. because I understood what the rules were. I understood there was punishment. I understood that if I went somewhere and pitched a fit, I didn't get the treat that was coming afterwards. And, uh, you know, it, it, but it's work. It's hard, and it's hard because you love them, too. Parenting yeah. is, is hard. Oh, it's very hard, and there is no perfect parent. I look back, and there are several things I wish I could do over. Okay, I'll be honest with you. Um, But Is it like baseball? You just go three for ten, and you're the greatest ever? (laughs) Maybe so. Maybe so. You know, um, a good result in parenting is not guaranteed if you lead, but a bad result is much more likely if you don't. So that's that's kind of the uh, the, the, what I would say. And I don't claim to have all the answers, but – 
I think it's worth contemplating, you know, a parent's approach. But Bubba, what I was going to say is it has to do with expectations. If the child expects that they're going to be required to behave, they're more likely to. But if they expect they're going to win and and pitch a fit and Mm -hmm. be able to do what they want to do, then then they will. So you got to make sure they don't have those expectations early. And, and you know, one of the other things I think is so interesting about this, you have seen, and and we've all been through different ages, you have parents that will parent the same way. Good people, you think they're doing the right thing, and they will have one kid who gets in line, and you have one that absolutely is uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. And you see them then as adults. You may have, you know, you have brothers or sisters or whatever, and you have responsible grown-ups, and you have one that is still off the page. And you think, how in the world? It really gets down to no child is the same. Every either, right? child is very different. I, you know, I'll have triplets in my practice. All three, you know, are very different personalities. Um, you do your best. You invest early. You know, if you invest early, your, your fruitfulness is going to be greater. Like you said, it's harder to retrain than it is to train. Mm-hmm. But you stay on your knees. You stay on your knees and you pray for them. Mm-hmm. And you ask God for strength and endurance and wisdom in, in what you're doing. Because for every child, the parenting approach has to be customized. Yeah. You know, it's not a cookie cutter. Not, not, not everything, not every approach works for every child, even within the same family right. with the same parents. Yeah, you, the way it was done in, in our house, and my dad knew this from coaching a lot, he said, now, when we talk about the rules, everybody is under the same rules, okay? This, these things are allowed, these, these things aren't. He said, but discipline and motivation and encouragement to get the child where you want them to be is different with every child. And he said, like a coach, he said, my, my dad coached my brother and me. He said, the very same thing that motivated you turned him against me. Hmm. You know, if you, if you tried to go after your brother the way I went after you, you would rise up to prove me wrong. He'd quit on me. <laughs> yeah, and, and, right. and he said, just, just to, you know, to, to dis- showing his, his disapproval of that approach. But now as far as what time everybody had to be home, how much we got to play, what we got to do, what time, all that was the same. Mm-hmm. But inside that, those intricate details, the, the children are unique. And I think maybe some of these results happen because the family did have everybody under the same rules, but maybe there was a little bit of a, a misstep by thinking that all the children, because they're under the same rules, cookie cutter, are yeah. cookie cutters, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. they're not. What yeah. work? And I would say, even when it comes to discipline, sometimes one child needs this, the other one doesn't require that. And uh, so, talk about that a little bit. I think parents need to constantly reevaluate their approach. You know, we don't just set a course, stay on it, no matter what the results. So you have to reevaluate on a regular basis. Be a student of your children study them. You know, what works best for one may not work best for the other. But also step back periodically and just take a look at your approach. And, you know, we talked about discipline. I think of discipline in four parts. Number one, the relationship. The relationship is kind of the soil in which the seedling, being the, the child, is planted. That relationship needs to be nurtured. And children spell love, T-I-M-E. You've got to be available to them. You've got to give them unconditional love, even when they um, go against your uh, directive, and even even when you're you know so frustrated with them, your love has to be unconditional. You have to be consistent, 
inconsistency provokes a child to anger, which we know from Scripture uh, we're not to do, fathers are not to do, so we have to be consistent with our instruction and our approach to the child. So we've got to uh, nurture, we've got to uh, develop that uh, soil, that soil of the relationship. And then beyond there is instruction, affirmation, correction. The instruction has to be clear, expectations. Um, affirmation, you have to encourage your child. Um, you know, in that parenting style where you have demandingness um, and responsiveness, the authoritative approach that Baumrein talked about, demandingness is having high expectations for your child, not low expectations. Um, and and controlling their behavior in a reasonable way, but at the same time loving them. So there has to be a balance. So you need to affirm your child, and then finally you need to correct. So so oftentimes we put correction at the top, but we got to think about instruction, the relationship, instruction, affirmation, then correction. No, you're right, and I've seen this in children, uh, and I know you have too, Bubba, when you get into a coaching situation, you really see that it's true. You can see the children that the parents don't discipline. And when you say, well, let me tell you, as long as you're on this team, here's how it goes. And it would be in your best interest not to go against that. Mm -hmm. They love it because it's almost like something clicks with them that you actually care. You're actually investing in them and you care enough to try to say, do it this way because that's going to be right. I think a lot of times what parents who think, well, just let the child be who they want to be and let's just keep them happy. Most of those children at some point, whether they – clearly know it or not, they, they start thinking you don't really love them. Because as your book says, loving by leading, if you don't lead a child and you put that kind of pressure on them, you don't really love them. Bubba, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Children want guidance. Yeah. Matter of fact, when we don't give guidance, there's anxiety that builds up within them. You mean I can make that decision, Mom or Dad? I, I, I want you. I want some help. I want you to make yeah, the decision. First of all, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it puts a lot of pressure on the child, so they want. So taking that coaching example, think about a coach who never um, applauds a child's performance, a player's performance. That's not a good coach. So in, in coaching, you've got to applaud them when they do well and correct them when they do when they do poorly and be clear in the instruction as far as how to play the game. So parenting is a lot like coaching. What about the uh, – hopefully, and it is – look, I know there's some things that are beyond people's control. Uh, if you end up being a single parent, uh, that's, that's a different deal, and, and certainly you can address that too. But it, let's say that you are in a home where mom and dad are together. Mom and dad need to communicate and be on the same page. They I do. Mean, and, and, and if you, there's something one's doing that's not right – uh, and my wife and I talk about this. Hey, don't 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 dress me down in front of the children. If 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 there's something I'm doing that you don't agree with, you know, just kind of keep it to yourself. We'll go into the bedroom or somewhere else in the house. Then you can dress me down. Mm-hmm. At, at our house, we always do the. Hey, that's that's exasperation. That's not discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 okay, you're right. And, but don't do it in front of the, the the mom and dad. Need to seem like they're on the same team. They do. And and you certainly don't want to undermine the other parent. And I'll go a step further. Marriage needs to be the priority, not the child. That's correct. So if you want to bless your child, work on your marriage, nurture your marriage, spend time together, go on dates, show your children that you love your spouse. That brings so much stability to a child and confidence to a child. So when there's unrest in the marriage, oftentimes that's the source and the reason for misbehavior. Uh, it, it, you just can't you know, identify it at the time, but... Uh, the marriage is very, very important, and you're right. Don't uh, put one spouse down in their presence. Go work out your problems in private. 
Well, um, is there anything that that you want to cover? I know the book is talking from birth to pre-adolescent. Uh, with with about five minutes left, you do have a time-tested infant sleep program in the book. I know you probably can't unpack that 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 entirely, so that's why we want them to have the book. Uh, but you, tell them a little bit about what, what what this is going to do. Well, when parents come to pediatricians, oftentimes the question is. Uh, misbehavior okay how do I correct my child the main point I want to get across in the book one of the main points is you want to prepare the child for success so I call that first things first so they need to be well rested so you need to make sure you have some sleep guidelines for your infant and your teenager they need to be exercising you need to turn off digital devices get them outside and need to have good nutrition. So to kind of unpack that, I think infancy is the first opportunity a parent has to lead their child. Teaching good sleep habits early on and having a regular bedtime for your school-ager and teenager is really important because when a child's sleep-deprived, they misbehave. So that's one of the reasons for a toddler misbehaving. It's hard for a toddler to be self-controlled when they're sleep-deprived. So sleep is really number one. Prepare the child for success by majoring in those three areas. Um, Secondly, exercise. Model an active lifestyle. Limit screen time. And encourage your child to get outside. Make outdoors more attractive than being indoors. Today, indoors is so much more attractive. So children sit. They have a sedentary lifestyle. That affects temperament. That affects behavior, too. So... um, Uh, sleep, activity, and then nutrition. I really like the idea of practicing the family table, like I mentioned earlier. As you get together as a family, as often as you can, you know, three or four times a week would be very uh, good for uh, the average American family today. Um, Children's research has shown they eat better, they converse better, relationships are improved. And with teenagers, there was one study that showed there's even less bullying on social media for families who eat together. So eating together will improve their nutrition, which can also affect their behavior. So those three areas need to be looked at first because you want to prepare the child for success in the home, not um, disadvantage them by, allowing, by neglecting those areas. So I want to just quickly on nutrition, the child... I see many parents giving on this too. Just give them whatever they eat. And how do you handle the child that you're trying to give a balanced diet to that says, I'm not eating that? Okay, listen to this. I tell my parents, it's not a parent's responsibility to get their child to eat. It's not a parent's responsibility to get your child to eat. It's only to offer healthy foods and have a standard way you do that. He or she will never starve themselves. See, that's the fear. The fear is, well, number one, it's conflict avoidance. Uh, you know, I'll go ahead and give what he wants. I don't want to get into this right now. But secondly, it's, but he's not eating anything. And typically, if you take a look at the situation, there's over, there's too many snacks, too much juice drinking. And then when they get to the table, they're not very hungry. So you need to set in place good structure, offer good food, and let the consequences you know, go from there. If a child sits through a 20-minute meal and doesn't eat, it really is okay for them to go on to sleep and go on to bed because they're going to wake up hungry, and that's your next opportunity in the morning to give them something healthy to eat. A two- and three-year-old, they will have finicky appetites. There will be times when they don't want to eat much, other times they eat a lot, but your responsibility is not to get them to eat. It's only to offer healthy foods. So really, they can't eat things that are never in the house. 
That's true. And, and so they'll eat what's there. Because they can't drive. They, yeah. they'll, they'll eat what's there. I, you know what? That actually happens as an adult. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Rick, if you want to stop eating these things, don't put them in your <laughs> yeah. you know. Well, thank yeah. you for the time. Uh, the book is called Loving by Leading. Uh, you can certainly get it anywhere books are sold. Uh, the website is lovingbyleading.com. Uh, and there's so much more in here. All we did was kind of hit the high points today, including that infant uh, sleep program. No way we could unpack that here on the podcast, but you, you, it is here. And, uh, and I will tell you that if you can get that right, uh, that is a great foundational beginning for your marriage and for the child. <laughs> you know, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thank you, uh, Dan, for being with us, and, and thank you for writing this book. And I, I'm thanking you, and I know, Bubba, you agree because we talk about it. I'm telling you, this topic comes up on the show all the time. Mm. This is a return to to what has always worked. It is. And we've gotten away from it. Yeah. And under some of it, I believe, is best intentions. Some of it, sadly, I believe that some people like the idea of having kids more than actually parenting uh, because they see it on Instagram or something. Uh, but it does take a lot of work, but it's worth it. It pays. And these are, these are time-tested principles that come from the Word of God that have always worked. And uh, I thank you for taking the time to put it together. Thank you, Doc. Thank Thank you you very much. Yeah, thanks to all of you for joining us on this edition of Rick and Bubba University.